Hey everybody, welcome back to Now Let's Be Honest. I'm your host, David Tate, and this is another episode in our ongoing series, Walking Through the Gospel of Matthew. I won't waste your time with any extended intro shenanigans, so let's get to our main discussion. Let me give you a brief outline of what you can expect for us to cover today. What we're going to do first off is I'm going to just have us examine some of the earliest patristic witnesses, the testimonies of the early church fathers, and we're going to see what they had to say about the development of the Gospels. After that, I'm going to share with us some conclusions that we can come to as a result of those patristic witnesses, and then I'm going to give a defense of Matthaean priority. I'm going to give a brief, hopefully concise defense of why I think that Mark was not written first and why I think that Matthew was written first. And then I'll share one scholar's theories in regards to how these things were developed that I could almost align with. But then I'll end this video by sharing my own personal theory on how I think the gospels came to be specifically Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Ultimately, this stuff does not matter a whole lot in regards to actually understanding the content of the gospels, because you can just understand the book in and of itself by studying it. The reason why I felt the need to break this down is firstly because I'm passionate about it. Uh, the video that you're about to see today is really just a less intense version of what I wrote my master's thesis on, because that is exactly what I was defending in my master's thesis for seminary, but also because the conclusions we come to in this video are going to largely shape how we approach the Gospel of Matthew in this particular series, because there are certain convictions I hold about the Gospel of Matthew, uh, and there are certain issues that I think that Matthew was trying to address that will be key in helping us understand certain reasons why Matthew is different from Mark and Luke. And that all being said, what I wanted to do to just kick us off here is I actually wanted to share with you some useful resources that I found uh, whenever I was actually writing my master's thesis on this, and just so you know that I'm not just making this stuff up and pulling it out of my butt. <laughs> no, these are some of the sources that I used. I actually have a lot more sources beyond these, but these are the ones that I found the most useful in helping arrive at the conclusions that I currently have, uh, in addition to just studying the scriptures themselves. So first off, we got Why Four Gospels by David Allen Black. I'm going to actually reference this book a little bit later on in this video. And then you also have Jesus and the Eyewitnesses by Richard Bauckham, which is just probably one of the most useful resources you can have if you are interested in studying the gospels in general. I don't land at a lot of the same places that Richard Bauckham does in his book, but that book is amazing. Then you also have Rethinking the Synoptic Problem, which was edited by David Allen Black and David R. Beck, but it's actually just a culmination of just a bunch of different, uh, it's a compilation of different authors' contrib contributions. Then you have the Synoptic Problem, Four Views, you have Studying the Synoptic Gospels, you have the Synoptic Problem Introduction, and you have the Jesus Crisis. Uh, a lot of these were contributed by Robert Stein, and he is actually a person who defends the idea that Mark was written first, so obviously I disagree with him and stuff, but I actually think there's a benefit in reading stuff that you don't agree with because you can figure out why you don't agree with it or maybe they can sway you. Uh, and so those are some useful resources if you want to go more in depth to this. But that being said, let's hop in and let's actually look at what the earliest church fathers had to say about this issue. So right off the bat, let's start off with this guy named Irenaeus. Irenaeus was a guy who was in the early second century and this is what he had to say about the development of the gospels. He says, so Matthew brought out a written gospel among the Jews in their own style when Peter and Paul were preaching the gospel at Rome and founding the church. But after their demise, Mark himself, the disciple and recorder of Peter, has also handed on to us in writing what had been proclaimed by Peter. And Luke, the follower of Paul, set forth in a book the gospel that was proclaimed by him. Later, John, the disciple of the Lord and the one who leaned against his chest, also put out a gospel while residing in Ephesus of Asia. 
All right, so there's a few key things that we see that Irenaeus is asserting here. First off, we see that he's asserting that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were actually written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He makes it clear that Matthew is the Apostle Matthew, Mark is the companion of Peter, Luke is the companion of Paul, and John is the beloved disciple who is identified in the Gospel of John. And so we see that the traditional authors are attributed to these Gospels. But then we also get a rough timeline for how Irenaeus views these things have been laid out. First off, he lists out that Matthew was presumably written first, and he says that it was written in the Hebrew's style, teidia uh, aton dialecta. So whenever it says in their own style, the word is actually dialect, right? So some people will debate about whether he's saying that it was in the Hebrew language or just in the Hebraic style, like as in the dialect, right? Uh, and he says specifically that Matthew wrote this when Peter and Paul were preaching the gospel at Rome, and we know when that happened, and so you can actually put a rough date to when he believes that Matthew wrote this gospel. But then he says that even after that, Mark wrote his gospel after the demise, presumably, of Peter and Paul, right? So after Peter and Paul died, Mark put down his gospel, and it says that he was the interpreter of Peter. And then he also mentions that Luke set and forth his gospel, but what I want you to notice here is that Irenaeus doesn't specify when Luke wrote his gospel. So it is possible that Luke wrote after Mark, but it also is equally as possible that he is simply going in the order that we find the books, because usually that's just historically how they were kind of compiled together, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, in that order. But he doesn't specifically say that Luke was written after Mark, he just lists them in that order. There's no actually time references in regards to Luke right here. But then he does say that later, John, the disciple of the Lord, wrote that one. So he presents Matthew as being written first, Mark written sometime after Matthew, and John being the last, and Luke was written sometime in between there, and we just don't know really the order there. Moving on, we get to Clement of Alexandria, and he is a guy who's writing actually possibly a little bit earlier than Irenaeus, uh, and he says this, Mark, the follower of Peter, while Peter was publicly preaching the gospel at Rome, on their asking him to let him have a record of the things that had been said, wrote the gospel that is called the gospel of Mark from the things said by Peter, just as Luke is recognized as the pen that wrote the Acts of the Apostles. Right? So he clarifies here that Mark wrote these things while he was in Rome as a result of some of the things that the people in Rome had heard from Peter. And so this actually is consistent with what we saw with Irenaeus, right? The idea is that Mark's gospel is based off the teachings of Peter, but what we learn interestingly, like, interestingly from Clement is that apparently this was as a result of the people's request. They heard the oral teachings of Peter and they came up to Mark and said, hey, can you give that to us in a written form? And Mark did so and then presumably he went on and he got the approval of Peter before publishing it. And so that's what we learned from Clement. Moving on, we get to Tertullian, who's a guy who's once again writing around the same time of Irenaeus, and he says this, in short, from among the apostles, John and Matthew implant in us the faith, while from among the apostolic men, Luke and Mark reaffirm it. The main thing you need to take away from this is that we once again have a defense of the idea that the people who wrote the Gospels are the people who the Gospels are named after, right? So Matthew and John, they were both apostles of Jesus, and those are the ones who wrote the Gospels of Matthew and John. Luke and Mark, however, they were not apostles of Jesus. They were apostolic men. They were friends of of the apostles, right? Luke was a companion of Paul, Mark was a companion of Peter and Paul, and they came along later and also wrote their books as well, right? So right there, we just have Tertullian defending the idea that the traditional authors of the Gospels are correct, and that's from, once again, in the second century. And so, we move on. Uh, now we have the anti-Marcionite prologue to Luke. Uh, Anti-Marcionite, uh, Marcion was an early church heretic, and so this is something that is refuting Marcion. And this is in the second century. We read this. 
there were already Gospels in existence, that according to Matthew, written down in Judea, and that according to Mark in Italy. But guided by the Holy Spirit, he, Luke, composed in the regions around Achaia the whole of the Gospel. So this is interesting. Uh, the reason it says he there is because this whole thing is a prologue to Luke, so it's talking about Luke, so we can infer that that's what he's talking about here. But we learn here what, in the second century, was the traditional view of the formulation of these Gospels. First off, Matthew was written in Judea, which is consistent with what we read from Irenaeus, that it was written in the Hebrew style, right? So it was written in Israel, right? It was written in that region. But then Mark was written in Italy. This is also consistent with what we've already seen, because it's the idea that Mark wrote this in response to the Romans asking for a copy of Peter's teachings. And then you also have Luke, who is writing this in like the region of Greece, which is also consistent with the fact that he was a traveling companion of the Apostle Paul. Moving on, we have the Old Latin prologue to Mark, which also dates back to the second century, and this is what we read. Mark had been the disciple and recorder of Peter, whom he followed. Having been asked by the brethren in Rome, he wrote his short gospel in the regions of Italy. When Peter heard about it, he approved and authorized it to be read at the church. Last of all, John, perceiving that the external facts had been made plain in the gospel and being urged by his friends and inspired by the spirit, composed the spiritual gospel. Right, so we have the idea, once again, consistent with all the testimonies, that Mark's gospel comes ultimately from Peter. What we have, in addition to what we've read before, is that we have specific confirmation here that when Peter heard about it, he approved and authorized it, right? So, presumably, what happened is that Mark recorded Peter's words, he showed it to Peter, and Peter gave it his stamp of approval and said, yes, that is consistent with my teaching, which is important because we have to realize that the church was built on apostolic authority, right? It was the authority of the men who knew Jesus the best, right? And Jesus is the one who gave them that authority. And so Mark's the interpreter of Peter. He writes this in Rome. He gets Peter's approval. And then we read that last of all, John uh, even though he'd known that these, other, that these other three Gospels existed, he wrote his Gospel, which is specifically called a spiritual Gospel. So even from the second century, everybody recognized that John's Gospel was vastly different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke, right? Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the synoptics, but John's is the spiritual Gospel. Moving on, we get Eusebius. Uh, this is moving on a little bit into the third and fourth century. And he says this, to such a degree did the flame of true piety illuminate the minds of Peter's hearers that, not being satisfied with having just one hearing or with the unwritten teaching of the divine proclamation, with every sort of entreaty, they urged Mark, those uh, whose gospel it is reputed to be, being the follower of Peter, to bequeath them also in writing the record of the teaching handed onto them by the word of mouth, nor did they let up before convincing the man. All right, so once again, this is consistent with what we've already read. This is the idea that the Romans heard the teachings of Peter, but they weren't satisfied to only hear it once, and they weren't satisfied to not have it written down. And so what we see them doing is that they're urging Mark, and they're saying, hey, we need you to write this stuff down. Could you write down what Peter has taught? And Mark, being an interpreter of Peter, the idea is that he probably sat there and he wrote down what Peter taught, and then he went and got Peter's seal of approval. So you can see how all of these different accounts, as we're moving through history, are consistent with one another. If anything, they're just fleshing things out a little bit more, which is very, very useful for us. Moving on, we get to Papias or Papias. I don't know how to pronounce his name, uh, but this is a guy who actually dates back to the first century, and he's actually probably one of our earliest records because he was actually a disciple of the Apostle John, I believe. But the thing is, we don't have Papias's or Papias. I don't know how to pronounce his name. I'm just going to pronounce it however I want, okay? Just so you know. 
um, we don't have Papias's original writings. We actually only have Papias being quoted by Eusebius, right? And Eusebius was a guy writing in the fourth century. He's actually the first person to write a book on church history. So we have a lot of information from him as we're going to see throughout this PowerPoint. Um, but he quotes Papias from the first century. And this is what Papias had to say. Mark, having become the recorder of Peter, indeed wrote accurately, albeit not in order, whatever Peter remembered. Peter used to deliver his teachings in the form of short stories, but not making it, uh, but not making as it were a literary, but not making as it were a literary composition of the Lord's sayings, so that Mark did not err at all when he wrote down certain things just as Peter recalled them. For he had one intention, not to leave out anything he had heard, nor to falsify anything in them. But about Matthew's, this was said. So then Matthew composed the sayings in the Hebrew style, Hebraidi dialecta, and each recorded them as he was able. So this is really, really cool. Because this actually is very key in helping us understand certain, uh, certain arguments that people who argue that Mark was written first might bring up. Because what Papias is saying here, according to Eusebius, is that Mark was the recorder of Peter, but whenever Mark sat down to write his gospel, he did not sit down to write a literary composition in the same way that Matthew and Luke did, right? Instead, Mark simply sat down to write things exactly as Peter said them, right? That's very key for us because one argument that's often raised by the fact, uh, by the, um, by the people who hold that Mark was written first, is they'll point out that the literary composition of Mark is lesser, and therefore it is more likely that Mark was written first and that later sources came along and they expanded upon it and refined the grammar and stuff like that. However, if Mark was simply writing down the things as Peter said them, and he wasn't simply going about making a robust literary composition, this is exactly what we'd expect. There's a lot of phrases that we read in the Gospel of Mark, such as like, like the phrase immediately over and over and over again. That fits with somebody who is delivering something orally in the form of teachings. And Mark is simply writing that down. So that's really crucial for us in order to understand that because it actually refutes those common arguments for Mark being written first. And these are things that typically aren't really addressed by Mark and prioritist, right? The people who suggest that Mark was written first, usually they actually, and I'm not trying to exaggerate this here, a lot of the times in most of the resources, they just totally forget and they abandon and they don't interact with the earliest patristic witnesses. That's why I'm wanting to do this because I don't want to just assume that 2000 years later, I can come up with how these gospels were formed. I want to go back and see what did the earliest church fathers say? This isn't saying that they're all correct, but it's saying that they probably know more about it than I do 2,000 years later. Uh, but then Papias also teaches us here that Matthew's, once again, and this is consistent with what we've seen already, his was written in the Hebrew style. And once again, it's dialecta, right? The same exact word. It's not the idea that it was necessarily written in the Hebrew language, but according to the Hebrew style. It was more Hebraic in nature, which is actually true if you look at the Gospel of Matthew. Even in Greek, it has a sentence structure that is more akin to Hebrew, which is actually really, really cool. Moving on, Clement of Alexandria. This is a guy uh, who's once again earlier on than Eusebius, but he's being quoted by Eusebius in his church history book. This is what he says. Clement used to say that the earliest written gospels were those containing the genealogies and that the gospel of Mark had this arrangement. When Peter had publicly preached the word in Rome and by the spirit had proclaimed the gospel, those present who were numerous urged Mark as one who had followed him for a long time and remembered what had been spoken to record what was said. 
And he did this, handing over the gospel to those who had asked for it. And when Peter got to know about it, he exerted no pressure whether to forbid it or to promote it. This is super duper crucial if you understand what's being communicated here. Because Clement does really two things for us. First off, he gives us a clear chronology for the first time of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He tells us that the earliest written gospels are those containing the genealogies, right? That would be Matthew and Luke, because Matthew and Luke both contain de genealogies of Jesus. Mark does not include that. And so Clement is saying that Matthew and Luke came first, and then only later on did Mark compose his gospel. And this is how he says it came about. Mark heard the teachings of Peter, and he wrote them down as he remembered them. And then what he did is he went and showed them to Peter, and Peter gave them the seal of approval, like we've seen in the previous um, testimonies. But there's one key phrase here. When Peter got to know about it, he exerted no pressure whether to forbid it or to promote it. So he did give it his seal of approval, but he didn't promote it or hold it back from being promoted. The idea that you get is that Peter saw the gospel of Mark, and he said, yep, that's exactly what I believe, but he didn't necessarily push for it to be advanced, because the idea seems to be that he didn't necessarily think it contributed anything extra to the understanding of Jesus, right? Because if Matthew and Luke already existed, which is, you can see how this argument is kind of being formed here, if Matthew and Luke already existed prior to this, then Peter is simply affirming, yes, this is what I believe, but it is shorter and is more just based on his teachings. And so he says, yes, this is authoritative. This is consistent with my teachings, but he didn't feel the need to either promote it or forbid it, which is just really crucial because Clement doesn't draw attention to this, but it's important for us to recognize that in order to understand where I'm kind of heading with this. Uh, moving on. This is what Origen says. Uh, this is once again quoted in Eusebius, but Origen was a guy from the second and third century. Origen testifies that he knows only of four gospels. The first written as those according to the one-time tax collector, but later apostle of Jesus Christ, Matthew, who published it for the believers from Judaism composed in Hebrew characters. And second, that according to Mark, composed as Peter guided. And third, that according to Luke, the gospel praised by Paul, composed for those from the Gentiles, and after them all, that according to John. Right? And so here we do have a rough outline of how... Eusebius quotes Origen, and Origen's timeline seems to suggest once again um, that, well, not once again, uh, Origen's timeline seems to suggest that these books were composed in the order that we find them in Scripture Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. At the same time, whenever it says first, second, third, fourth, um, really the only one, well, really the only ones that we can say matter-of-factly are in relationship to time are Matthew and John here because it says the first written was Matthew and then you have John which is called after them all but then Mark and Luke are simply called second and third and it's unclear whether or not Origen or Eusebius in quoting Origen is talking about second and third in relationship to the order of their composition or the fact that he said Origen testifies he only knows the four gospels. So is second and third referring to the fact that it is the second and third gospel or the second and third gospel written? Ultimately, it doesn't matter that much, but what I'm trying to highlight here is that there is a firm chronology in the patristic witness that Matthew was written first and John was written last, while Mark and Luke are oftentimes up in the air, though there are many testimonies that seem to suggest that Mark was written first and Luke was written third, well, sorry, Mark was written second, Luke was written third, though there are some that also flip that. 
And so there's that. And we also have confirmation here that there's only four gospels, right? So whenever you hear people talking about other gospels or books that never made it into the Bible, even from the second, third century, everybody's like, no, there's only four legitimate gospels. There might be other ones circulating, but only four of them are legit. Uh, and then we have Augustine. And this is the last person I'm going to quote because now we're getting just further away from the actual documents to where it's really not that helpful. But this is what St. Augustine had to say. Therefore, these four evangelists are said to have been written in this order. First Matthew, then Mark, third Luke, last John. Of the four, Matthew alone is said to have been written in Hebrew, the others in Greek. So this is interesting because Augustine does give us a firm timeline of this, and he presents the Gospels as having been written in the order that you find them in your Bible. Matthew first, Mark second, Luke third, and John fourth, right? And so that is Augustine's position, and that's why I talked about this um, in our last video. Remember I said that there was the, the Augustinian hypothesis, uh, the Augustinian theory of composition, and I said that it was Matthew first, then Mark, then Luke. Well, that's where you get this from, right? So he does confirm that, uh, and he also does suggest, once again, that Matthew was written in Hebrew, where the others were written in Greek. So that's also a consistent testimony that we have throughout all of these sources. And so there's our earliest patristic witnesses to the order of the composition of the Gospels. Let's see if we can come to some conclusions, some conclusions in regards to that. First conclusion, when the four Gospels are mentioned, Matthew is always mentioned first and John is always mentioned last. That's something that we've seen through all of these, right? Matthew is first, John is last. Secondly, when the composition order of the Gospels is mentioned, Matthew is always presented as being written first and John is always mentioned as being last, right? So those are slightly different, but I was just highlighting the fact that whenever they list out the Gospels, Matthew's first and John is last, but also when they're specifically talking about the order they were written, Matthew is still first and John is still last. Third, when the composition order of the Gospels is mentioned, Mark is usually listed second, but occasionally listed third after Luke, right? And so this is highlighting something that we just saw, right? Usually the order that we find the Gospels being presented as being written is Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the order you find them in your Gospels or in your Bible. But there are some cases, specifically the one that talked about the genealogies, where it actually flips that order and it says Matthew, Luke, Mark, John is the order that they are written. Fourthly, Matthew is consistently attributed to the Apostle Matthew and it was written for the Jews. Mark is consistently attributed to Mark based on Peter's teachings in Rome. Luke is consistently attributed to Luke, the companion of Paul for Gentiles, and John is consistently attributed to John, the beloved disciple, right? And so these are consistent things that we see in all of the early patristic witnesses. Yes, they will add different flavors and nuances to it, but this at the bare minimum is what we see from all of them, right? Matthew is written by the apostle. It is written to Jewish people. And then you have some people saying that it might've been written in Hebrew or at least in the Hebrew style. Mark is consistently attributed to Mark based on Peter's teachings in Rome. And it might've been written in Rome. And we might actually know a little bit more about how that composition came to be. Luke is consistently attributed to Luke, the companion of Paul for the Gentiles. And then it might've been written while he was in the region of Ikea or Greece. We don't know. John is consistently attributed to John, the beloved disciple, and it's presumably a spiritual gospel, whatever that means and however you interpret that. Fifth conclusion. Most of the debate lies in determining the timing. Most of the debate lies in determining the timing of the composition of Mark. That is really the hinge of this whole debate because really nobody suggests that Luke or John were written first. Matthew and Mark are the usual ones that are um, debated about, and the universal testimony of the earliest witnesses is that Matthew was written first, and this is what most people have believed over most time. 
The only time people started believing that Mark was written first is really in the last 200 to 300 years with the rise of modern critical scholarship. Uh, and so really, the debate lies on figuring out when was Mark written. Moving on. The sixth conclusion we can arrive at is that the content of Mark is consistently attributed to the teachings of Peter. This is something that we just see through all of them is that Mark is never attributed to just like having been an eyewitness of any of these things. No, every single witness we have specifically says that it is the memoirs of Peter. He went back to Peter and that's where he got his teachings. Seventhly, the majority of testimonies suggest that Peter delivered the content orally to an audience in Rome, teachings which were recorded by Mark at the request of those in attendance. Notice I did say the majority here. I didn't say all of them, but the majority of the witnesses do suggest this very thing. They suggest that Peter delivered them orally and that the people came and they asked Mark for it and then Mark went and wrote it down. Eighthly, some testimony suggests that after Mark had finished his composition, Peter gave it his seal of approval, but neither advanced nor suppressed its distribution. This is something that we saw in a few of the different sources. You have the idea that he wrote it, he showed it to Peter, and then that he went and um, he got the approval from Peter, but Peter didn't actually promote it or distribute it, or but he didn't also forbid that it be distributed. Another thing that we saw in one of the sources is that Mark published this after the demise of Peter and Paul. And so if you're actually trying to harmonize all these ideas, it could be that Mark wrote this prior to the death of Peter. He showed it to Peter and Peter didn't really promote it or anything. But then after the death of Peter, Mark did actually publish it and begin distributing it. I'm not saying that is what happened. I'm just saying that that is how you could kind of harmonize all these accounts. Ninth conclusion, the majority of witnesses hold that the order of composition matches the order of which they are found in our Bibles, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I'm not saying that is the correct order, I'm just simply saying that is what the majority of witnesses suggest. We also have some that suggest that it's Matthew, Luke, Mark, John, which is exactly what I point out here. As early as the second century, it was suggested that the Gospels with the genealogies came first, Matthew, Luke, Mark, John. And so, the majority of witnesses say Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. There is at least one source as early as the 2nd century, so within 100 years of these things happening, that it says Matthew, Luke, Mark, John. So really, the order of Matthew and John is not up for debate according to the earliest patristic witnesses. The only ones that are up for debate are Mark and Luke. Which one was written 2nd? Which one was written 3rd? That being said, let me actually give you a defense of Matthean priority. The first thing I want to do is I need to refute the idea that Mark was written first, which hopefully I've kind of already done a little bit, but I need to kind of address the things that scholars raise as points for Mark and priority. And once again, when I use the phrase Mark and priority, I'm just saying that Mark was written first. So let me refute that idea. Firstly, Mark and priority is contrary to the universal testimony of the early church, which hopefully I've demonstrated in these last minutes, where I've showed you that nobody in the early church viewed that Mark was written first. It is contrary to the universal opinion of there. Um, secondly, Mark and priority is only gained prominence with the rise of critical scholarship. This is something that I've already pointed out, but when you look at books talking about the synoptic problem, which I've got a bunch of them literally right up here, and most of those books are defending the idea that Mark was written first, but even in those books, they will admit that that is an opinion that only arose in the last few centuries, and usually they won't even acknowledge the patristic witnesses, or if they do, they will immediately discredit their opinions. Whereas I don't think that we should be so quick to discredit those opinions. I think that we should probably look back there and not be so cocky and arrogant as to think that we know more about how these books were written 2,000 years later just by working through it in our heads than the people did who actually might have known people who contributed to these gospels, right? I think that it's worth looking at their witnesses and seeing what they testified about these things. 
Thirdly, the greatest arguments in favor of mark and priority are resolved by the testimonies of the patristic witnesses. And what I mean by this is stuff that I really don't have time to nor have the desire to get into uh, in this um, video, uh, even though this is stuff that I mainly, like, the majority of my master's thesis was talking about issues like this. But when you read the books where people are defending the idea that Mark was written first, they will bring up different issues like the arguments from length, the argument from grammar, the argument from difficulty, the arguments from verbal agreements and order, the arguments from redaction, and basically all these arguments are resolved by testimonies of the earliest church witnesses, right? So whenever you read what they said about why Mark was written and how it came to be written, it actually resolves a lot of the things that people raise as arguments for Mark being written first. So some things people will bring up, they'll point out that Mark is the shortest one, and so they'll suggest that later Gospels expanded upon Mark's content, right? So Mark was the original story, and then later Gospels expanded upon it, and they embellished the idea of who Jesus was. Or if you're a conservative scholar, they'll just say that they use that as the base text and then expanded upon it and gave more information. Uh, other things they'll point out is that, once again, the grammar is not as polished in Mark as it is in Matthew and Luke. And so scholars will come along and they'll say, well, it's not very likely that a later gospel writer would come, come around and make the grammar worse. Therefore, it only makes sense that Mark was written first and then Matthew and Luke came along later and they made the grammar better. They polished the grammar. That makes a lot of sense other than the fact that we literally have early accounts that suggest that Mark wasn't originally written as a literary composition. It was rather written almost as a transcript of the things that Peter said. And you wouldn't expect that grammar that somebody speaks to be nearly as polished as what is written. For instance, in this video alone, I've stumbled over my words so many times and I have I always get comments in videos where people are like, hey, you misspoke on this one particular thing. I think in the last video I called the book of Acts a gospel multiple times just on accident and I only noticed that whenever I was re-watching it. And there's multiple different things where we make hiccups in our words. And I'm not saying that Mark has any hiccups, I'm just pointing out that the grammar is less polished. Whereas if you were to go read my master's thesis about this very same thing, I'm not going to make nearly as many hiccups and my grammar is going to be a lot more heightened and scholastic than what I'm using to communicate right now. And so a lot of what we read about in the patristic witnesses actually refutes the greatest arguments you have for Mark being written first. Moving on, other arguments in favor of Mark and priority arise by the um, arise from the limitations of source criticism and are resolved by treating Mark in a manner that is consistent with the patristic testimony. Uh, and what I mean by this is that a lot of the times scholars will approach an issue in a way that kind of over-exaggerates the capabilities of the specific type of criticism and the specific type of studying that they're going about. Uh, like they will over-exaggerate what can be accomplished through the specific means of study. So uh, they will talk about the arguments from literary agreements, primitive theology, linguistics, and really one big issue I have is the need for Mark, right? This is, I talked about this in the last video. So one of the main arguments, and this is, I kid you not, this is probably the main argument for why people suggest Mark was written first, is they'll point out that if Mark, or if Matthew and Luke already existed, Mark does not seem to have any reason to exist, right? Because basically everything found in Mark can be found in Matthew or Luke or both of them. And so it's easy to see why if Mark existed, Matthew and Luke needed to exist, but it's hard to see why if Matthew and Luke existed, Mark needed to exist. And most Markan prioritists will base their entire argument off of that logic. However, there's some issues there. Firstly, all because you can't figure out why something needed to exist doesn't mean that 
that couldn't have been the case, right? It could just mean that we are limited in our understanding, or it could be that Mark just wanted to write something down, right? That is very possible. And so you're already kind of creating this whole theory built off of your own ignorance, which I have a big problem with. But then this is also what I mean by it says it overlooks the patristic testimony because we actually have a testimony in scripture. I mean, not in scripture, in the patristic witnesses where the early church fathers, they themselves mentioned that Peter neither promoted nor forbade the promotion of his gospel, which means that that kind of would suggest that Peter kind of felt the same way about it to where if Matthew and Luke already existed, he says, I don't really necessarily see why Mark needs to exist. So he didn't promote it. He didn't forbid it for being promoted. He kind of just said, yes, I give it my seal of approval. And that's that. And so if you look at the early church fathers, you'll see that what they point out about how Mark came to exist actually lines up with what the scholars are using as arguments against Mark being written last. But those patristic witnesses suggest that Mark was written last. And so I'm just pointing out that a lot of the times the fact that people don't look at what the early church fathers said leads them to their conclusions. And I have a big problem with that. Moving on. Fifthly, some arguments used in favor of Mark and priority fail to uh, explain anomalies wherein Mark sometimes aligns with Matthew and sometimes with Luke, right? Uh, and these are just like different arguments from verbal agreement and word order. These are things that you could just like Google or just go open a book and they'll explain what those things are. But these arguments fail to explain the relationship between Matthew and Luke and Mark because though basically the structure of Mark makes a lot more sense if he was basing his text off of Matthew and Luke together. Because there's this guy named Griesbach, uh, and I mentioned him in the last video because he suggested that the order written was Matthew, Luke, Mark. And the reason he arrived there is that he pointed out that there are certain places where Mark seems to demonstrate a zigzag pattern, where sometimes he will follow Matthew's order for a while, and his wording will be very similar to Matthew's. And then he'll stop from there, and he'll go to Luke's, and he'll follow Luke's order for a little bit, and he'll follow the wording there, and then he'll go back to Matthew's. And it's almost as if whenever Mark was being composed, he was going back and forth from Matthew to Luke to Matthew to Luke. So you can almost literally look through Mark. And you can almost like bracket it off into sections where he was looking at Matthew, looking at Luke, looking at Matthew, looking at Luke. That's hard to explain if Mark came first, because then you would have to explain why Matthew choose, chose to follow Mark's order for a little bit and then flip-flop the order. And then Luke happened to follow the order for a little bit and flip-flop the order. And they happened to just change orders at the exact same places. So that would be very, very difficult to explain if Mark was written first. This is far more readily explained if Mark used both Matthew and Luke as sources. We don't have anything within the patristic witnesses that suggest that Mark used Matthew and Luke as sources, but we also don't have anything to refute it. So, that being said, let me also briefly defend Matthean priority, and then I'll give you some theories, and then we'll wrap this video up. So, first off, Matthean priority is consistent with the universal testimony of the early church. This is the flip-flop argument of what I just said about Mark and priority. The idea that Mark was written first is contrary to basically all the patristic witnesses. The idea that Matthew was written first is the universal opinion of the early church fathers. They all held that Matthew was written first. Secondly, Matthew's Hebraic structure and Hebraic grammar align with the universal testimony of the church in regard to one, how it was composed, two, where it was composed, and three, unto whom it was composed, which gives credibility to their witness and the notion of Matthean priority. It also seems more reasonable that Hebraic elements were ironed out by later Gospels rather than inserted by Matthew. So, just to break that down, what I mean uh, by the first part is that 
whenever you look at Matthew's gospel, it is notably a more Jewish gospel in nature than Mark and Luke. John is kind of very Jewish in nature as well, but Matthew especially is very Hebraic, um, not only in the things that it's addressing, but also just in its sentence structure. It's written in Greek, but it has a very Hebrew sentence structure whenever you actually look at it. This is consistent with what the early church witnesses said, first off, and how it was composed. They said that it was written in the Hebrew language or the Hebrew style. They said it was composed in Judea and unto whom it was composed, they said it was composed for the Jews. And so that is very consistent with the patristic testimony, which kind of accentuates the idea that maybe they knew what they were talking about. And it highlights the fact that maybe they were right when they said it was written first. Uh, and it gives credibility to their witness and the notion of methane priority. Also, it seems more reasonable that Hebraic elements were ironed out by later gospels than inserted by Matthew. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Uh, and once again, I'm not saying this is impossible. I'm just saying if you're logically working through it, it makes a lot less sense for Matthew to take a gospel like Mark, which is less Jewish in nature. Uh, and even though the grammar is less polished, it's at least um, a more Greek structure to the nature of it. Uh, it'd be a lot less likely for Matthew to go there. And he's like, you know what? I want to make this more Jewish because it sounds more choppy. It doesn't sound as naturally flowing as normal Greek sentence structure and stuff like that. And so it seems a lot less likely that Jewish elements would be added into the gospel. And it makes more sense that as the church became more Gentile, that Hebraic elements and Jewish elements would be ironed out. Uh, moving on, though. The content of Matthew's gospel is chiefly concerned on ver with very Jewish matters, i.e., the um, like, for example, the relationship of Jesus and the law, the nature of the Messianic kingdom, etc., things of which the early church, still centralized in Jerusalem, would have been chiefly concerned with, right? Very quickly, the early church became a predominantly Gentile religion. However, Matthew's gospel is very, very Jewish in nature, which would suggest that maybe this gospel was written very early on when it was still very Jewish centralized whenever it was written, like whenever the church was still focused in Judea. Fourthly, the gospel of Matthew meets all the apologetic needs of the early church in light of growing Jewish opposition. For instance, it lists out genealogical records. It gives extended discourses on Christ's teachings. It defends Jesus' messianic <laughs> messiahship uh, through prophetic citations, stuff like that. So if like basically presupposing the fact that Matthew was written early, would what we find in Matthew be what we would expect to find from the early church during the early years of its formation? Absolutely. Because the church was born in Jerusalem. It was a very Jewish centralized church for the first 15 or so years of its existence until finally the apostles scattered and went everywhere else, right? And so if it is in Jerusalem and it is a growing sect of Judaism and there's more opposition to it, then there's going to be a lot of questions that need to be raised. People are going to wonder, did Jesus have a valid claim to the throne? Was he the Messiah? What were his teachings like? What did he teach that set him apart from the Pharisees and from the Sadducees and from the Zealots and from the Essenes? Um... What did he do to accomplish the things that God said he would do? Did he fulfill prophecies? These are all questions that Jewish people would be chiefly concerned with, and that's exactly what we see in the Gospel of Matthew. So it suggests that this Gospel might have been written very early on in the years of the church before it expanded on and went be and became primarily Gentile. Fifthly, Matthew's Gospel suggests that the social environment of Jesus' day was still intact. There's a lot of things in Matthew's gospel which suggests that nothing vitally like transformative has happened to where like there's nothing that alludes to the fact that the temple has been destroyed or the idea that the apostles have been scattered or anything. Instead, it seems like the world that Jesus lived in 
is the world that this gospel is being written in, right? There haven't been these huge transformative things that have happened since then. Jesus prophesies about things to come, but there's never a place where Matthew says, and this was fulfilled whenever this happened later on. Instead, it seems like the social milieu of that day was the social milieu of the time that Matthew is writing his gospel. Sixthly, Matthew's gospel is exactly what we would expect from an apostle writing to meet the needs of a Greek-speaking Jewish church. Uh, this is really kind of a combination of points three and four. It's the idea that what we find in the gospel of Matthew seems like exactly what we would expect to be one of the first major documents arising out of the early church to meet the needs of its Greek-speaking Jewish audience, right? Uh, and so I just want to highlight that. Seventhly, given how quickly Christianity became a predominantly Gentile religion, it's unlikely that early witnesses would claim the first gospel written was Hebrew if in nature it was not. Uh, so what I mean by this is kind of just accentuating the point I made earlier. The church became a predominantly Gentile religion very quickly in its history, right? It did not take that long until um, really the Jewish portion of the church became the smaller portion. It was born in Judea and it was predominantly a Jewish religion, but very quickly it became Gentile. So it's far less likely that later on a Jewish, like, it's far less likely that the patristic witnesses would suggest that the Hebrew gospel was the first one written unless that were actually the case because all these patristic witnesses are Gentiles. And so it'd be very weird that they would say, oh yeah, that one was the first one written. Like it, just the logic of it does not necessarily hold up uh, if you just think through it. And I really don't want to spend a long time on this because this video has already been much longer than I anticipated it being. Uh, so there are some arguments for Matthean priority. I don't think I have any more on there. Oh, I do have one more. Matthean priority negates the need to formulate any hypothetical sources, QLM, etc. This is my last point in regards to this. Um, this is something that I pointed out in last week's video. It's the idea that a lot of the times in order to defend Mark and priority, scholars have to come up with all these hypothetical documents that we have never actually discovered in order to explain the anomalies that we have between Matthew and Luke, right? They'll have to say, okay, well, so obviously all the stuff that Matthew and Luke share together that they found from Mark, well, that comes from Mark. But then there's also stuff that Matthew and Luke share that isn't found in Mark. So they'll say, well, maybe there's this other source called Q and that's where they got their stuff from. But then they'll also suggest, well, Matthew had to get his other information that's not found in Mark or Luke from somewhere. So they talk about this document called M. And then there's also stuff that Luke has that's unique to his gospel. And they'll say, well, that came from L, right? And so they'll suggest that there's all these different sources that we just don't have any evidence of. Whereas if you suggest that Matthew was written first and that Mark or Luke came afterwards, you don't have to come up with any other hypothetical scenarios. I'm not saying that those don't exist because I think that all of these guys had to use sources to an extent. I mean, Matthew is writing about the birth of Jesus and he evidently wasn't there, right? Mark and Luke are writing these things and they were not eyewitnesses. So these guys use sources. The issue is that a lot of the Mark and priority things, uh, the proponents, they put all their hopes in sources that we have never actually found. Uh, whereas the Matthean priority idea, the idea that Matthew was written first actually explains all that stuff without you having to come up with these hypothetical sources that have never been found. That being said, uh, what I want to do to close out this video is I want to give you two theories. One is a theory that comes from this guy named David Allen Black in his book, Why Four Gospels, which is a super short read. Uh, it's literally just like, I think it's like a hundred pages long. If that, it might be even shorter than that. I read the whole thing. It's great. He makes it very easily communicated. And I want to give you his theory for how the gospels might've come into being. 
and I mostly agree with this. However, he overstates his case in a few places where I'm not as confident. And so I'll share his theory and then I'll close off this video with giving you my own personal theory and how uh, these came to be. And so Dave Allen Black, uh, who's got a bunch of really informational stuff. If you just like go look him up, he's got some really good stuff. Um, he presents the Gospels as being formed in four stages and he aligns them with stages in church history. First off, he starts with stage one. The Holy Spirit descends upon Jerusalem at Pentecost, uh, and this is during the year AD 30, uh, or AD 33, depending on when you think that Jesus died and resurrected. Uh, the apostles, in very shortly afterwards, they realize their need for a written record of Christ's ministry to serve as a witness in their place when they can't do so personally. So the apostles realize that they're going to be traveling, they realize they're not going to be around forever, and so they realize that it would be very helpful to have a written record of Jesus' teachings. The Apostle Matthew is selected to document the apostolic witness to the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. And then Matthew's gospel is published before the apostles flee in AD 42. This is super duper crucial because you, if you like just see the implications here, the idea is that Matthew was actually written much earlier than most scholars would suggest. And the main reason that most scholars hold that Matthew was written in the 50s and 60s is because they presuppose that Mark was written first. However, if Mark wasn't written first, Matthew could have been written any time before that. We don't have any other reason to believe it wasn't. And what David Allen Black suggests is that the content of Matthew being so Hebraic in nature would suggest that it was written during a time when the church was centralized to Judea. And we know that the apostles were there presumably up until they fled in AD 42 or 44. People debate about the date there. But whenever the first apostle was killed, right? James, son of Zebedee, the brother of John. It seems like the apostles were centered in Jerusalem until that moment, right? Or they're at least central, uh, centralized in Judea. But then after the death of Big James, uh, everybody fled and they went everywhere else. However, it makes the most sense, and I agree with this, that the, that the Gospel of Matthew was written while the apostles were still centered in Judea. Because then Matthew, who was probably the most well-versed and well-educated of them, he would have been selected to document these things, and he could have recorded all of their stuff together so that they had all the apostles together affirming what they believed about this stuff. Then you get to stage two. Paul moves on and he evangelizes to the Gentiles. And while he's evangelizing to Gentiles, he encounters issues peculiar to the pagan environment, right? So Paul, this is years later, he's going out and now the church is becoming a predominantly Gentile religion. And as he's going about this, he realizes that there's certain issues that arise when you're ministering to Gentiles that didn't arise with Jews because there's certain questions that need to be answered that aren't necessarily being answered just by Jewish things, because there's a lot of things that Jewish people presuppose that pagans do not presuppose. And Jewish people, whenever they're coming to believe in Jesus, they only have to like basically take a big step into just believing that Jesus is the Messiah. But if you're a Gentile, your entire worldview is being rocked. And so Paul's encountering these various different uh, issues. And so during his Caesarean imprisonment, Paul prompts Luke to gather information about Jesus' ministry with a primary focus on the role of Gentiles in God's kingdom. This is really cool because if you go to the book of Acts, there's a time period about two years where Paul is imprisoned in Caesarea, which is in the land of Israel. And one cool thing we see there is that Luke was there with him because in the book of Acts, it, uh, it transfers to the first person. So we know that Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke and wrote the book of Acts, he was with Paul during that time period. This would have been a perfect time for Paul to tell Luke, hey, could you go conduct interviews, figure out what people say about Jesus specifically in regards to how to treat Gentiles and how to minister to Gentiles. 
Therefore, the physician Luke produces a Gentile edition of Matthew, and this would have been during that Caesarean imprisonment around AD 58 to 60. However, this is what David Allen Black suggests. Publication is withheld until receiving apostolic eyewitness seal of approval. Right? So he suggests that this is when Luke would have composed his gospel, which I think would have been the prime opportunity for this, because we have to figure out when Luke would have had the opportunity to conduct these interviews that he said he did, right? He said he gathered this information. It would make sense that he would do it while he's in Israel. And Black suggests that publication is withheld until Paul finds an opportunity to get the seal of approval from an eyewitness, like an apostle who was an eyewitness. Paul was an apostle, you see, but he wasn't an eyewitness to Jesus. He did not follow Jesus for three and a half years. He was an apostle by the will of God, appointed by Christ himself to be an apostle, but he wasn't there. And so Black suggests that maybe Luke was written earlier, but it wasn't published until he could get the seal of approval. And this is where Black has this amazing theory. And I love this. Stage three. During his Roman imprisonment in AD 61 to 63, Paul asks Peter to check and authorize Luke's gospel for use in Gentile churches. Right? So this would this is great. Once again, I don't want to overstate it as fact, but it is a great theory that holds up really well with everything we've seen. So, Paul is imprisoned in Rome. We know from different letters and stuff like that and different details that there was a time period during this imprisonment where Paul, Luke, Mark, and Peter were all in Rome at the same time period. Black suggests that while Paul's in prison, he asks Peter to check out Luke's gospel and authorize it so that it can be used in Gentile churches to minister to them. Peter does so through a series of lectures before a Roman audience recorded by John Mark, who publishes his gospel after Peter's death. Do you see how genius this is? Because the idea is that basically what, like what Black suggests is that Peter had access to Matthew, which was written decades earlier, and that he had Luke right here, and that Peter went back and forth with Matthew and Luke, Matthew and Luke, that explains the zigzag, and as he's going through this, he is giving oral teachings from both of them, and in so doing, he is affirming them as the authoritative witness of what happened with Jesus. And that would explain why Mark has these consistencies with Matthew and Luke that go back and forth. Once again, I can't say that this is factual because it is just theoretical, but it is a beautiful blend of the patristic eyewitness and the things that we see as scholars going through these gospels. And so John Mark writes this, but he doesn't publish it until after Peter's death because Peter didn't promote it or anything like that. Then we arrive at stage four where the apostle John publishes his gospel from Ephesus in AD 96 as an indispensable supplement to the other gospel accounts. Uh, Black just suggests that John wrote this around the same time he wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and Revelation. Uh, and so those are the four stages of how Black proposes that the gospels were written. And I really am tempted, I'm going to be honest, I am tempted to hold to Black's theory exactly as it is because it's such a beautiful amalgamation of all of this to where it lines up with the patristic witnesses and I could totally see this being how it goes. However, there are some places in Black's theory where I think that he kind of overstates things and I'm not entirely confident enough to take fast positions on that to where I might kind of hold this. This is like my headcanon right now, but I want to give you my theory that I feel like can be defended not only by the patristic witnesses, but also the text of scripture themselves. And so here is my theory. I'm going to give this to you, then we'll wrap this video up. I'm sorry for it being so long. First off, Matthew was written for a chiefly Jewish audience as a Christian manifesto, one, defending the kingship of Jesus, and two, detailing the foundation of Christian belief. 
The need for and possibility of such a gospel would have likely been during a Jewish centralized church prior to the dispersion of the apostles after the death of James, son of Zebedee, in A.D. 44. Uh, the reason I put A.D. 44 here is because people will debate between whether or not James died in A.D. 42 or 44, and so I chose the later date just to be conservative with it. It's very possible that this was written even earlier, but I would suggest that Matthew was written first, and it was written any time between A.D. 30 and A.D. 44, whenever the church was still heavily centralized in Judea, because that just makes the most sense for me to me for why Matthew is the way it is. And it seems like that would be the most appropriate time period for a book like Matthew to be written because it's addressing all the needs of the church at that time period. And then I would suggest that Luke was written afterwards. Luke was written for a chiefly Gentile audience to defend one, the, legit the legitimacy of Christian claims, and two, its relevance to a Gentile audience. The need for and possibility of such a gospel would have likely been during Paul's imprisonment in Caesarea around AD 57-59, follow uh, allowing Luke ample time to travel around and conduct interviews with eyewitnesses. So I believe, uh, like Luke makes it clear that he went around and he had to interview eyewitnesses in order to, con like, to create his gospel and the perfect time would have been whenever Paul was in prison for those two years in Caesarea because Luke was there with him and while Paul's in prison Luke has the perfect amount of time to go out and do all these things and that would have perfectly um, served Paul's ministry right because Paul has been going out to the Gentiles he's been doing all these things and there are certain issues that have arisen they want to make sure that um, like Luke wants to demonstrate the legitimacy of Christian claims. He wants to demonstrate that this was a legitimate thing that happened. And so he lists out historical details and meticulous things that they can then use to help evangelize to the pagans and evangelize to the Gentiles. And they want to show the relevance of a to a Gentile audience. And so in Luke's gospel, you see a lot of elements that are specifically showing how it isn't just a religion for the Jewish people, it is also for Gentiles. And so this would make the perfect sense to me when Luke would be written. And then I would put Mark after that, uh, and I would land kind of at a similar place with uh, Black. Mark blends Matthew and Luke via the oral teachings of Peter, thereby giving his apostolic seal of approval to Matthew's Jewish gospel and Luke's Gentile gospel. Most likely composed when Paul, Mark, Luke, and Peter were all in Rome around the same time, around AD 60 to 64. Uh, and so this was the time period where we know that Paul was in prison from around AD 60 to 62 in Rome. And we don't know what Paul did after that, but we know that he eventually came back to Rome and he died sometime between AD 64 to 67. Most people hold that the apostle Peter died in Rome sometime between AD 64 to 67. And so to be conservative here, I put it sometime between AD 60 to 64 in that time period where Paul's in prison, ultimately leading to one of their deaths and assuming their deaths were earlier, kind of somewhere in there. And I actually cited references uh, to where you can actually look in scripture and you can see where we see that all these guys were in Rome at the same time. And so if Peter was already aware of Matthew's gospel, and if, I mean, if Matthew wrote this whenever they were in the region of Judea, it's very possible that Peter was a contributor to Matthew's gospel. It was possible that all the apostles were. And so it's, it's also very possible, I want to highlight this, that the apostles very well had this stuff memorized, right? So he might not have even needed Matthew's gospel to do this. It could have all been in his head because they've been ministering about this stuff for decades, right? And so to me, it makes sense that Matthew and Luke already exist. And then Mark shows up later on with Peter and he composes his gospel. This also could help explain why some accounts talk about Mark and Luke, uh, Mark being written first and then Luke. And then some say that Luke was written before Mark. Well, it could be that Luke was written first, but it was published after Mark, right? Because they didn't want to be published until uh, 
Peter had given his seal of approval, which I think is just really, really cool. And so Black's theory is one that I really love and I really want to emphasize. Um, but this one, I believe, is a little bit more conservative where I'm not making as um, solid claims to where I'm trying to be a little bit more general. But this is where I land. And the reason I shared all of this, uh, just to wrap this whole thing up, the reason why I shared all of this is because I want to address the Gospel of Matthew as one of the earliest texts of scripture that was specifically being written for a Jewish audience to communicate the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. And to me, that aligns most with what we see internally in the gospel and externally in the earliest Christian witness. And so that's kind of going to be the direction that we take in how we approach the gospel of Matthew in this study. And that's why I wanted to give you this in-depth um, just basically over, it's not really in-depth, this was just a, a broad overview of these issues, but I tried to go as in-depth as possible in a fast manner. So I'm sorry if I talked fast, but hopefully you understand my heart and why I wanted to communicate this. That being said, that's all I've got for y'all today. Once again, thank y'all so much for listening in, and I just want to remind you that if you want more biblical content like this, I have plenty more on the Now Let's Be Honest YouTube channel. Also, if you don't mind, leaving an honest rating and review for this podcast would be a super huge help for helping spread the word. Until next time, I've been David Tate, this has been Now Let's Be Honest, and I look forward to moving further along in our study next week. Be sure to keep a smile on your face and don't let anybody steal your joy. Maranatha.